Well, good morning, church. Good morning. What a great morning of worship. What a great time of being together today. I'm so excited this morning. We're beginning a brand new series, a series called The Kings. And in this series, we're going to look back in the Old Testament, some of the kings and see what they did well, see areas that they struggled in, but also areas that we can learn. And what we're talking about in this series is really spiritual leadership. And how God has entrusted each of us to be leaders. And if you're a parent or at your workplace or in the community or at church, that we all have these areas that God has given us. And the remarkable part is as we grow and as we mature, God expands our leadership capacity. He says when you are faithful with little that he will give us more. And so we want to be men and women who lead and love well. And I pray that's what this series will do as God challenges us and teaches us through his word. Now, let me give you a little background before we jump in here into the book of Kings. If you go back and you study, you can see how the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt, right? You remember this? They were slaves in Egypt and they prayed for a deliverer and God sent a man named Moses, let my people go. And, and he said that to Pharaoh and he leads this million people out of this land of slavery. And they come across the desert. They meet God at Mount Sinai. God says, I want to be your God and gives them the Ten Commandments and talks about how he's going to bless them and use them for his glory. And so they go on this journey with God. They have to wander around the desert for a little bit because of their unfaithfulness. But then finally they end up into the promised land. And when they come into the promised land, they they conquer the land and the land that God gave to their forefathers, Abraham. And they come into the land. And the first thing they do is they start to look around at these other nations and they say, God, they've got a king. We want a king. And God goes, I'm your king. And I go, yeah, right. Well, we, we kind of know that. But, you know, we want our own king. We want to do it our own way. We, we, want a, we want a king like these other nations have a king. And God goes, you know what a king's going to do, right? He's going to take your children. They're going to run the, his chariots. They're going to work in the kitchen. They're going to be, you know, do you really want this? Yeah, we want a king. So, sure enough, they... They get a king, a king named Saul. And if you go back and study, Saul doesn't do a great job leading, right? So he doesn't do a great job at all. And, and so God raises up a new guy, and a man named David. And I love this because God sends a, a prophet named Samuel, and he goes to the house of Jesse. And God says, anoint the new king. And Jesse's bringing out his sons, you know, and most of them are, you know, strong and studly guys. And Solomon, I mean, Samuel's like, that's got to be the guy. And, and God's going, no, that's not the guy, you know. And then the next guy comes out, and no, nah, it's not the guy. Oh, wait, there's a little guy. Go get him. And David comes in. And God says to Samuel, you know, God is different. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Anoint the little guy as the king, because he's got a heart after me. He loves me. David, you know, he fights Goliath. He defeats Goliath. David becomes the king over all of Israel, and God blesses David. Now, David's not perfect, right? I mean, David makes some mistakes. He blows it. He messes up. But, but you know what? He continues to be faithful to God. He continues to pursue God. And under David, Israel rises to a place of world prominence. I mean, they are like a world power. They are wealthy. They're leading. I mean, they win about every battle they fight. And God blesses David. Well, a couple of years ago, we did an entire series just on the life of David, and there's so much that we can learn. And David becomes that king that all the other kings are kind of measured by. But after David, there's this battle, there's this intrigue, this drama that unfolds as people are vying for power, as people want to be the next king of Israel, as people want to rule. And so you can see all this drama unfold. It's kind of like the Game of Thrones, right? Where, you know, I mean, King Arthur or King Henry VIII, I mean, there is power, there's sex, there's temptation, there's all of this kind of rolled up in here. As you see people fighting for the throne, 
And what emerges is these different kings that come to power. And there's so much that we can learn. You see, for the fact is this, because you and I, God has given us leadership. And if you are a parent, you are the spiritual leader of your home. If you want to be a parent one day, you are going to step into a place of leadership. If in your workplace, if you have people who work with you or work for you, listen, you have leadership. If you're a teacher, you have incredible leadership. If you're involved here at church and you teach in children or students, or if you teach in small groups, you have leadership. And all of us in our community, we have this calling to leadership. And a great definition of leadership is something really simple. It's moving people from here to there, right? But spiritual leadership is different. And one of my favorite definitions of spiritual leadership is from Henry Blackaby. He says, spiritual leadership is moving people onto God's agenda. Moving people onto God's agenda. And you and I, in our lives, are called to be men and women who help move people onto God's agenda. Help give people a greater view for their lives and their calling. And what we're going to learn in this series, I believe, is going to be foundational for us as we continue to grow and mature in our lives. Because God has a plan for you and God has a purpose for you. And God wants to use you in ways that you can't even dream or even imagine. And God's saying, hold on to me. Hold on to me. Do you realize we live in the wealthiest nation that's ever existed? The wealthiest nation that's ever existed. Do you realize with the influence that you have and the opportunities we have today through the internet, we can literally touch the world. And so God says, what are you going to do with what you've been given? How are you going to lead? Well, welcome to the Kings. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of First Kings. First Kings. We're going to be in chapter 3. If you have a Bible, it's kind of toward the front of the Bible, right? So if you go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's the first five books. That's the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch. And then you come into Joshua, and that's that whole journey right into the promised land. And then Judges, and if you're reading in our daily step, we're in the book of Judges right now and reading through there. And then you come to Ruth. And then 1st and 2nd Samuel, and then 1st and 2nd Samuel is about Samuel and Saul, that first king, and then David. And then you come into 1st Kings, and that's where we're going to pick up. And in 1st Kings chapter 1, you know, you got people vying for power. David is passing away. David names the successor. And who we're going to study today is the king Solomon. Solomon. And David gives this charge to Solomon in chapter 2. And in chapter 3, where we pick up, Solomon is now on the throne. He is the king. And it says in verse 5 of chapter 3, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now think about that for a moment. What if God came to you and just said, ask for whatever you want? Ask for whatever, what would you ask for? Would you ask for money? Would you ask for success in your career? Would you ask for long life? Would you ask for health? I mean, God comes and kind of gives this blank check to Solomon. Ask for whatever you want. And Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you. Now remember that. Because he was faithful to you. Was David perfect? No. But he was faithful. Because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart you have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne 
this very day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I'm only a little child, and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Have you ever been there? (laughs) I remember being a, a dad when... Grace, our oldest daughter, was first born, and we're driving home from the hospital. And, and I remember literally driving down the interstate thinking, I'm in charge. <laughs> you know? I'm responsible for her. I, you know, there's no little button to push for the nurse to come anymore. You know? I'm going home, and I mean, can I handle this? I mean, am I ready to be a dad? Am I ready to step into this? Maybe you remember, maybe it was a new job that you started, or you got a promotion, and you just started thinking, Wow. Am I ready for this? Can I handle this? Solomon recognizes, God, I need help. God, I need you. I'm only a child. And I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? What Solomon asked for is wisdom. God, give me wisdom. You've called me to lead. You've called me to love. You've called me to serve. But, but God, I don't know how. God, give me wisdom. And the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment to administering justice, He says, you know, because it's not just all about you, Solomon, but you are wise enough to realize that I've put you in this position and you want to help others, you want to lead others to me because you've been so discerning. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime, you will have no equal among kings." Wow. Solomon goes on to become the wisest man that ever lived. The wisest man that ever lived. And God also added to him wealth and honor. I mean, this guy was wise. I mean, he wrote, you know, so much of the book of Proverbs. Uh, This guy, people traveled from all over, the Queen of Sheba and others. They came just to sit at his feet to hear his wisdom. He was so wise. If you go on in 1 Kings chapter 3, there's a, kind of a story that illustrates uh, how wise the king was. Um, there were two prostitutes, it tells us. And, and back then, um, if you were a, a lady and your husband passed away, and your father had passed away, and you had no sons, you were in trouble. I mean, you were in big trouble. Women had no rights at all. And many women turned to prostitution. It was the only way they could make money or even survive. And so these two prostitutes are living in the same house. And they both have baby boys. And they're born three days apart. And one night, during the night, one of the baby boys dies. Laying on his mom's chest, the baby dies, stops breathing. Well, the mom looks over and the other prostitute's over here sleeping and the baby is alive. And so the the one whose baby died takes the live baby, puts it on her chest and puts the dead baby on the other lady. Well, when the other lady wakes up, obviously she's like, what is going on? What's happened? My baby has passed away. And then she looks over and realizes, no, that's my baby. And the lady's like, no, and there's no witnesses, nobody's around, right? It's she said, she said, and so they go before the king. How are you going to determine this? And they're both saying, this is my baby. You know what Solomon does? He says, bring me a sword. Bring me a sword. They bring him a sword. He says, we'll cut the baby in half. You get one half and you get one half. 
Well, obviously the real mom was like, no, 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 no. It's her baby. It's her baby. Please, please, you just take it. And the mom whose son had died already said, fine, cut the baby in half, you know, because she was miserable. She was just mad and misery loves company. And Solomon goes, you're the mom. You're the mom. And people are like, whoa, wow, that was wise. The wisest man that ever lived. God gave him this discerning heart. You know what? He was number two. He was the wealthiest man that ever lived because he asked for wisdom to administer justice. God said, I will add to you wealth. I will add to you honor. This guy in today's dollars, billions, billions. I mean, David had conquered so many nations and all these nations are paying tribute. And so Solomon just kind of walks into this sweet deal where money is coming in left and right. He has so much money, he can't even spend it all. I mean, billions and billions of dollars. And God had blessed him. God had given him. You see, Solomon demonstrates great spiritual leadership right here. Solomon starts well. And as a spiritual leader, and for all of us, you know what? There's this call to pray for wisdom. This call to pray for wisdom. The Bible says in James chapter 1 verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all who ask without finding fault. And it will be given to him. Every day of my life, I wake up in the morning and I pray for wisdom. I just pray, God, oh Lord, I need wisdom. I need wisdom to lead my family well. I need wisdom to lead your church well, God. I need wisdom to lead my small group well. Father, I need wisdom to lead in my girls' school and to lead their sports teams. God, I need wisdom. Do you pray for wisdom? God invites us. Solomon starts well, right? He prays for wisdom. Here's the second thing he does. He starts off, and man, he's just getting started and doing great. You know, the second thing he does, he builds the temple. Turn over with me, First Kings chapter 8. First Kings chapter 8. See, the temple was something that his dad David had this idea for, all right? His dad David, one day David had moved the capital into Jerusalem. David built this great palace, this beautiful palace. And one day he's reconning in his palace and he looks out and he sees the Ark of the Covenant in a tent. And David says, why do I have this great palace and the Ark is in a tent? Why do we all have these really nice houses and all these things that God's blessed us with and we haven't done anything for, for God? And so David says, let's build a temple in the center of our community. Let's make it where everybody says, wow, God is at the center of their lives. God is at the center of this nation. And God says to David, David, you're not the one to build it. Great idea, great thought. I love your heart. But you've got too much blood on your hands, man. You've fought too many battles. I'll leave it for your son. So Solomon comes along and Solomon says, I'm going to build the temple. And he spares no expense. Solomon starts to work in the center of Jerusalem, builds this massive temple. And in 957 BC, the, the temple is completed. And I mean, it is beautiful. It's an architectural marvel. It is wonderful. It is We'll show a picture of it up here, and, and you can just kind of see this was kind of a rendering of what it looked like. But it was massive. I mean, gold everywhere, and places to worship, in courtyards, and right in the center of Jerusalem. To say, this is the temple. And so Solomon is saying, hey, my life is about God. You know, God's number one, and worship is important. And giving and serving. It, just to give you some perspective, 1 Kings chapter 8, pick up in verse 62. It says, then the king and all of Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship offerings to the Lord. 22,000 cattle. 
I can't even get my head around that, right? Okay, I mean, 22,000 cattle is what he offered at the dedication of the temple. Okay, 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. 120,000 sheep and goats at one time. So the king and all the Israelites dedicated the temple of the Lord. I mean, Solomon's all in, right? I mean, this is from his personal livestock. He's coming and he's offering this. I mean, you talk about a giant barbecue. I mean, it was massive. It was on. This was Solomon saying, God, you are first. You are the ruler of my life. You're the ruler in our nation. You're in our community. Solomon starts well. And so many times, you know, people are growing up in church and man, you're just like, I'm so passionate about what God's doing in church and giving and I'm serving and I'm just so excited. And he starts. However, however, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. And this is where everything starts to change for Solomon. If you keep going into chapter 9, it says the the Lord came to Solomon a second time. And when Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the the royal palace and had achieved all he desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and the plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Wow. Wow. I mean, this temple was incredible. It was massive. It was wonderful when they dedicated it. I mean, the spirit of God, cloud, moving in, moving over it. This was the temple. It was later destroyed, but then rebuilt. This is the temple that Jesus worshiped at. I mean, he's going, Solomon, great job. Way to go. And as for you, if you will walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness as David, your father, did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I've given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I've given them. And I will reject this temple I've consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. And though this temple is now imposing and all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, why has the Lord done such a thing in this land, into this temple? And people will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. So God comes to him and says, Solomon, you've got a great start. You've got a great beginning. But listen, Solomon, you're not done. You stay faithful. You stay faithful. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Growing up, I used to play golf with my dad. I love my dad. My dad's a really good golfer. And, and, and as I could never beat my dad, right? But as I got older, I could hit the ball farther than him, you know? And so I could hit my drive, and I'd be 40, 50 yards past him on the drive, and we'd be walking down the fairway, and he'd be like, great drive, great start. But it's not how you start. It's how you finish. It's not how you drive. It's how you arrive. Because you see, the object of golf is not just a long drive. The object of golf is to get this little ball into this little round hole. 
And even though I was 50 yards further than him, my second shot would usually fly the green in a back sand trap. I would chip on three or four putt. You know, I mean, it was like my dad would just like get on the green, make the putt. It, I was like, wait a minute. You're playing a different game. The object is to get the ball in the hole. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Solomon, listen, you got a great start. But the call is to finish well. The call is to stay the course. Oh, Solomon. Look at 1 Kings chapter 11. King Solomon, however, I told you, however. King Solomon, however, loved the ladies, right? He loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. He married Pharaoh's daughter. It was a great alliance between Egypt and Israel, but then he loved not only her, he loved... You know, the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Edomites, the Sidonians and the Hittites. And they were all from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love, right? Now notice verse 3. How crazy is this? He had 700 wives. I can't even, I just can't even imagine. 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. This guy had a thousand women. 700 wives and 300 concubines. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father, had been. He followed Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. Ah, Solomon. Solomon. It's not how you start, man. It's how you finish. Now, where did this whole idea of multiple wives come from, right? I mean, you were like, does the Bible teach polygamy? I mean, no, no, no. Go back and look at the beginning. God created Adam and Eve. God created one husband, one wife, right? He created that marriage relationship. You get into Genesis 3 and what happened? The fall. The fall of man. Sin came in. Adam and Eve are like, God, we don't want to do it your way. We're going to do it our way. People still do that today, right? Holy God, sinful man. And sin entered into the world. And if you keep going, you come into Genesis chapter 4, you know, Adam and Eve, they have two sons, Cain and Abel. And what happens? Generational sin being passed on. Cain gets angry. He kills his brother Abel. And Cain never repents. Cain never repents. He keeps going and the generational sin is passed on and passed on. He has a son and has another son. And then there's a son in the lineage named Lamech. And Lamech, it tells us in Genesis 4, takes two wives. This is where it all, man. But Adam and Eve do repent. They repent. And chapter 4 concludes with them having a baby named Seth. And it says at that time, people began to seek the Lord again. And from Seth's line comes a guy named Enoch who walked with God. From Seth's line comes a guy named Noah who was blameless and righteous. His generational sin. See, spiritual leadership, right? You want me to pray for wisdom. But spiritual leadership also means that we have to know that there's distraction points that are going to come along the way. 
That Satan does not want you to lead. Satan does not want you to be successful as a parent. Satan does not want you to be successful with your family or in your workplace. Satan doesn't want you to be successful in your community. Satan doesn't want people to be led onto God's agenda. Satan wants to do anything he can to distract you. Just like he did with Solomon. There's two things I think that become powerful distractions for spiritual leaders. The first one is this. Money. (laughs) Money. I think Solomon had all this money, you know. And see, money in and of itself, it's not bad. It's not good. I mean, money in and of itself, I mean, it can be used for good. Or it can be used for bad. The problem is that it can also become the the God of our hearts. And then our whole lives are rearranged to chase after the almighty dollar. That's why Jesus talked about money more than any other topic. And Jesus would say, listen, I know, I know, I know how you're wired. I made you, I created you. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, you'll despise the one and be devoted to the other. You can't serve both God and money. If you have money, great. But don't serve it. Don't let it become your God. For Solomon, man, it was just buy, 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 more, more, more. If you go in the book of Proverbs, there's a guy named Agur. Kind of had a funny name, but he was really wise. And he wrote this in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7. He says, two things I ask you, O Lord... Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and may say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. You ever pray, God, just give me enough. You know? Just give me enough. Now, all of us in here, I mean, we are blessed beyond measure. I mean, just by virtue of where we live, I mean, think about this. Half the world lives on less than $2 a day. We all have way, way, way bit more. And we need to thank God. We need to praise God. But we need to be faithful with what God has entrusted to us. And we can't let it become our God. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money. Notice that. It doesn't say for money. Money's not bad. I mean, money is good. If you have money, great. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. They've wandered from the faith. You see, I think that's what happened with Solomon, right? There wasn't a point where Solomon goes, God, I hate you. I don't want to be a follower of yours anymore. It was just this slow drift. It was just this kind of, I'm following the things of the world. He just got distracted. Yeah, I mean, I started off well, but you know, now my life is about this. Now my life is about money. And number two, powerful distraction for us as spiritual leaders is sex. The sex, I mean, it is. Solomon takes a thousand women around him and they led him astray. Now sex, it's not a bad thing, right? I mean, God created it. And in the confines of marriage, fantastic. But outside of that, it will destroy you. That's why it says in the apostle Paul says, look, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. We live in a day and a time where you think, man, a thousand women, you know, 700 wives, 300 concubines. But, wow, pornography? <laughs> I mean, it's opened the door for, for men to have, you know, visions of way more than a thousand women. I mean, social media has opened the door for, for women to have emotional relationships with all kinds of other people besides their husband. 
This past week, I mean, you may have seen, you know, these celebrities and their photographs were stolen off iCloud and, and their accounts were hacked and these nude photographs are out there. And, and I hate that. That's terrible. It's terrible. But it also reminds us of this. Listen, you leave a digital footprint wherever you go. You leave, I leave. What you put on Instagram, what you put on Twitter, what you put on Facebook, what you put on iCloud can be hacked at any time. And what kind of footprint are you leaving? And in our lives, man, it's so easy for us to get distracted. It's so easy for us to start off well, be so excited about God, and then just get distracted with the things of this world. See, I believe the same thing is true, just like Solomon. Most people that we know, most people will start off, and man, they're so excited about Jesus, so passionate about Christ. And then it's not that they turn around and go, Jesus, I hate you, you know? It's that they just drift. You just drift. And church used to be important, and and serving used to be important, and giving, and all those things used to be important. But now, you know, my life is about... And you wake up a week later or five weeks later or two years later, three years later, five years, and you're thinking, man, what happened? Where where did I go wrong? I wanted to be a man of God. I wanted to be a woman after God's heart. I wanted God to use me for his glory, and I just drifted. I just drifted. Solomon, to me, is the saddest person in Scripture in so many ways because he had so much that God had entrusted him with. And I just think for you and I, man, that God would make a caution for us. Come on. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Listen, there's consequences for disobedience. If you keep going in 1 Kings and you come down here, 1 Kings chapter 11, and you just keep reading. It says that the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel. Who had appeared to him twice. And although, although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Ooh. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yeah, I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. See, Solomon doesn't lose his salvation. You don't lose your salvation. But Solomon lost the spiritual blessing. He lost the blessing. And you and I in our lives, we've been entrusted with so much. We've been entrusted with so much. And God comes to us and he says, guys, listen, stay strong. Because there's consequences of the leadership that I give you. And your leadership and the way you lead, it impacts more than just you. It impacts others. It impacts generations. So stay faithful. Stay faithful to me. Hold on to me with everything that you have. Because I love you. And I have given you so much. Solomon, you know, he had so much. And he squandered it. And for so many people today, we can spend our lives, you know, pursuing the things of this world and spend our lives climbing the ladder only to find the ladders leaning against the wrong wall. And it's not just about outward success. It's not just about our appearance. What matters is the heart. (laughs) 
that we're constantly drawn close to God, that we're holding on to God with everything we have. That God, you love me, and God, you're enough for me. And God, as you've entrusted me with little God, I know that you'll give me more. See, God desires faithfulness, right? God doesn't desire perfection. We're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. But God desires faithfulness. And Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and for these 60, 70, 80, or 90 years, man, I got the whole world. But you know what? There's an eternity to come. An eternity with God. And God desires faithfulness. Don't you desire faithfulness? I mean, we desire faithfulness, right? In, in all of our relationships we desire, with our friends, we want our friends to be faithful. I mean, we know they're not going to be perfect. We know they're going to mess up. But we want friends that are going to be there, not just in the good times. Woo, let's go out, right? But we want friends that are going to be there when things get hard. Because life will get hard. With your spouse, don't you want faithfulness? I mean, you know your spouse is going to mess up. You know they're going to leave their dirty dishes in the sink sometimes, right? You know, I mean, they're not going to get the clothes out of the dryer. You, you know some things are going to not go right. But don't you just want faithfulness? Man, we can forgive those things. We can get past those things. Just, I just want to know that you're going to be there for me. I just want to know that we're going to grow old together, right? I just want faithfulness. See, God's not about religion. God's about a relationship. And the relationship that God wants with you and with me is, is faithfulness. Because God loves you. God loves you so much. And God has an incredible plan for you. And God says, you wouldn't even imagine all the things that I'm going to do through you for my glory. But I just want you to stay faithful. You know, the Grand Canyon didn't happen overnight. The Grand Canyon was just a little bit of water. Drip, 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 drip. And just the faithfulness of that drip, that water, that water, this huge canyon. Man, what God can do through people who are faithful. Just hold on to me. Because God says, I love you. So there's three questions I want to leave you with this morning. I want you to ask and I want you to think about just in your life. Number one is this. Do you love God with the same passion that you had when you first accepted Christ? Do you love God with the same passion that you had when you first accepted? Remember when you first accepted Christ? You remember this? You were just so fired up. Yes, God, I want to serve you. I want to be involved. I want to help. I want to lead. I want to grow in my faith. Do you still have that same passion? Do you talk about what God did in your life or do you talk about what God's doing in your life? Right? Here's the second question is this. Is there anything in your life that's distracting you? Is there anything in your life that's distracting you from being the man or woman God created you to be? I mean, can you be honest with God today? Just, God, I'm struggling here. There's something else that's taken the throne of my heart. And the third question is this. Is God the priority of your life or is God a priority of your life? Is God the priority of your life or is God a priority of your life? What we can learn from Solomon, and I pray, I pray, I pray that we learn this, is God's call to faithfulness. Many of us, we've started well. We've started well. But there's a God who calls us, be faithful. The best is yet to be. Just be faithful. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Wherever you are, right now, would you just be honest with God today? 
Maybe a day is a day of salvation. Maybe a day in your life you just say, God, I want you to be the king of my life. I want you to reign on the throne of my heart. I've been coming to church. I've been hearing about things. And today I want to give my life to Christ. I, I know you're drawing me to yourself. Maybe today is a day of confession. I mean, just honestly, there's areas of your life where you feel like, man, I'm drifting. I'm drifting from my spouse or from my children. I'm drifting from church. I'm, I'm just drifting. God, call me back. God, draw me close. I want you to be the priority of my life. Or maybe today is just a day of thanksgiving. <laughs> God, thank you. Times aren't easy. And they're challenging and they're tough. But thank you, God, that you are faithful. <laughs> Even when I'm not, oh God, you are faithful. And you love me, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for Jesus. So, Father God, here we are, your people. And we gather today, and Father, we, we look at somebody like Solomon, and we just think, oh, God, how could he drift away? How could he fall? And yet, God, we're reminded that we're all vulnerable, Father. And today, call us to faithfulness. Today, may we put a stake in the ground and say, Father, we're going to follow you. I'm going to live my life for you. I want you to be the Lord of everything in me. And I'll mess up and I'll make mistakes. But God, thank you that you are faithful. So Father, today we just recommit our lives to you. Anew and afresh. To be men and women after your heart. Thank you for your presence. In the good times and the tough times. But thank you God today for your faithfulness. And it's in the name, the holy, precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.